Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. There we go. <laughs> awesome. How are y'all doing this morning? Good. Uh, so a lot of you guys are in the back. I'm going to give you an opportunity real quick to move forward and close. Who is going to take the step towards the Lord. Nathan Cousins is. There's one. There's one. And there's one. Awesome. <laughs> Wonderful. Cool. So my name is Joseph Capehart. I'm the youth pastor here at Hope Brooklyn. Uh, we're a young community of faith that believes wherever you are on your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. And what that means is that you don't have to believe in order to belong. I feel like this thing is running away from my face. Um, you don't have to believe in order to belong. We're just happy to have you with us here today. And if you've been with us over the past few weeks, you know that we've been in this story time with the Jesus series. Isn't this the cutest picture you've ever seen? I asked, I asked Nathan this morning, I was like, who, which kid is that? And he's like, we don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a stock photo and it's beautiful. Um, and we've been in this series exploring the parables that Jesus tells um, and trying to see what God might be saying to us 2,000 years later through these same stories. If you don't know what a parable is, it's kind of like a short story with a message or a point to it. It's kind of the chief way that Jesus engages with his followers at the time. I think because when you're dealing with these huge concepts of like God and life and humanity, um, sometimes it can kind of go over people's heads. I was a pastor's kid, so I've sat through many a boring sermon, you know, real yawners. I got really, really good at pretending to pray and fall asleep, right? You sit in your chair, you put your head down a little bit just like so and you don't get up for another two hours, right? But nobody bothers you because you're like, that's a man of the Lord right there. Um, so, if I, so if anybody is praying excessively, excessively during this sermon, I know what you're doing. I see you. Um, so when it comes to these stories, Jesus is kind of like, he has a choice here, right? He's like, do I hit him with the dynamic or the modalistic hierarchism? Should I slap a little bit of uh, amillennialism on him? Should I throw out a little annihilationism for the people in the back? And he's like, no, nah, they're not ready. I'm going to tell them a story about a sheep right? And we love that story about that sheep, and that sheep brings us to God, right? Because these stories bring us closer. Um, the story that we're going to talk about today is the prodigal son. And this is one of my favorite stories, and for scholars and skeptics alike, when it comes to the Gospels, this is known as the paradigmatic parable. Paradigmatic, write that down, it's a great word. Um, it basically means this is a story through which all the other stories are understood, this is the reason why we're here. If the parables are Destiny's Child, then the prodigal son is Beyonce, right? So <laughs> Kelly, Kelly and Michelle, they're all right, but we all know why we're here, right? Um, if we're, uh, don't worry, I've got some more analogies for you. If the parables are Starburst, then the prodigal son are the pink ones, right? Yes. If, um, let's see, audience, audience who, uh, if the parables, if the parables are all the men on The Bachelorette this last season, then the prodigal son is who? No, Wills, <laughs> is Wills. If the parables are milk, then the prodigal son is oat milk. I'm done. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, chances are you've heard the prodigal son story before. Um, I know I've heard it probably preached 50 times with 30 different interpretations. So when I was told that I was preaching on this topic, I was like, which one do I choose? You know, like what 
can I say? What's like a, a fresh take I can have on this story that's been told over and over and over again? And I went to the Lord in prayer about it. And you know what he said? He said, yo, just tell the story. Just tell the story. Because I think sometimes these stories can get bogged down by complexity. Oftentimes we find ourselves looking far and wide, left and right for the answers to everything. And then we find out that it's the things that are the closest to us that are the most important. Sometimes, sometimes the truth is painfully simple. So I'm going to tell you a story. The parable of the lost son. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the paws that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his census, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called out one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he, have him, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property on prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Pray with me. Lord, as we approach this story, this incredible story, we're shaken. I am shaken by your grace by your love for us who make so many mistakes, who are so far from having this all figured out. 
Lord, and you say you love us. I pray during this time, Lord, that you speak through me, that you speak through this mode, through this church, for people who are walking in maybe for the first time or for the 50th time, Lord, I pray that your voice be heard, that your message be heard through this beautiful story. Amen. All right, so that is the story, right? And it is, it's awesome. It's a great story. I get chills every time that I read it. Um, and it's, it's, it's incredible because people ask Jesus, they're like, who is God? What is his relationship to us? How are we supposed to understand this? And this is the story. This is the story that he decides to tell them. So as we go through it one more time, I want you to pay attention to a couple things, or one thing in particular. Um, I want you to notice how many stories are being told. All right, I want you to see the different characters, the stories that they're telling about themselves, how those stories interact, how they conflict, and how they support one another. All right? Cool. Story. Son walks in. Bow. I want my money. I want my inheritance. I'm done with this farm. I'm done with this life. I'm done with you. This is super disrespectful, especially in a Jewish patriarchal context, because he's basically telling his dad, I would rather you be dead. I want your money more than I want you. This would be disrespectful even today. Have y'all ever heard some kids say some real reckless stuff to their parents in public and it just knocks the wind out of you, right? You like feel like your mom reaches across time and space to slap you just for being in the same room, right? I, I remember in high school, there's this kid who was like, mom, I need the keys uh, in the car. And she's like, you can't have the keys. Your dad needs a car today. And he said, Linda, give me the keys right now. And I went, oh my God. <laughs> Oh, no, 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 not, not in my black house, <laughs> not in my black house. But the son goes up to him and he basically asks his father to liquidate a third of his assets and then give it to him. And I can only imagine how painful this must have been for the dad to hear. You know, I imagine that this story didn't start here, right? This is probably a story that's been in, in the making for years. Like maybe the son is getting further and further away from his father, the relationship becoming more and more strained until it reaches this breaking point. But then we get a story in which the father says yes. Right? In all contexts, it would have been very um, understandable for the father to reject him and then even punish him for even entertaining the thought. But that's not the story we're given. We're given a story in which the father says yes. How many of us have been on some really destructive paths, right? Uh, inside of us, we've got people telling us not to go that way. We, or we've got ourselves telling us not to go that way. People around us telling us not to go that way. But we keep on course towards that unhealthy thing, right? Maybe it's a relationship that we really want to get into, but we know that person's not right for us. Or a job that we're like, okay, I'm going to make a lot of money. I need it to live in this Frickin' city, right? But we know that it's going to eat us alive, right? We stay on course towards that thing. But what this story gives us is a father who loves his son too much to not let him go. What we have is a God who says, if you must go, then go. I'll be with you, but, but you can go. And lo and behold, that's what the son does. 
he takes his money and he heads right off. And it says that he spends everything. He loses it all. He hits this rock bottom. Up until now, the son's story has been one of self-sufficiency of I can do this on my own right? He's like, um, I have what it takes to survive in this world. I don't need my father in them anymore. I'm going to go. And then he runs straight into burnout. Uh, I'm a huge fan of anime. I have been my entire life. One of the chief motifs in anime is that you'll see the character gets into this place where they're about to die. And then suddenly this well of power comes from inside of them, right? And it comes from them. They give all they have on their own and they're able to, uh, to do anything, they're able to succeed. And I took that on as a child and I still see it in myself today when I run up against something that's difficult. I'm like, all right, we're pushing through, right? Um, if I get to a place where I'm struggling or I'm suffering, I'm like, all right, well, here we go. My therapist sent me, told me the other day that's not healthy, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he said, um, it's that you can't do this on your own right? Self-sufficiency can lead us to a place of burnout and exhaustion, can take us to rock bottom. And I know rock bottom is something that many of us have experienced. This is how they describe it for the son. They say, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. The son went from demanding his inheritance, from having the world at his fingertips, to having nothing, from, to begging for scraps and not even getting that, right? Oftentimes the things that we think are going to make us happy, that are going to make us whole, I'm sure the son was like, this money and this freedom, this is what's gonna get me where I wanna be. This is gonna make me feel like the way that I wanna feel. This is going to make me happy. And we put all of our identity into those things, right? I bet this dude was the life of the party. He bust open the door to that bar and he said, everybody drinks are on me. And he had a lot of friends for a moment right? He was happy for a moment and then it all fell away. And I know we know what it feels like to have it all disappear, to be left with nothing, to feel so alone after putting our identity fully into these things. It hurts. It hurts. It says further, when he came to his senses, and often we do need rock bottom to give us a little perspective. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. There's a shift in the son's story here. He moves from a story of self-sufficiency into a story of worthlessness. And this worthlessness, this story, he rehearses, right? In this, in this scene, he's actually practicing what he's going to say to his father. He's standing in this mirror and he's hyping himself up. And he's repeating this over and over again, I am unworthy, I am unworthy, I am unworthy, I am unworthy. How often do we rehearse stories of worthlessness in our life? 
right? And then we step out into the world, we, we look in the mirror, we see something that we don't like, we see something ugly, and we expect other people to see that ugliness as well. We step out into the world paranoid that people are going to finally realize what we realize. They're going to see us for who we are, and they're not going to want anything to do with us, right? Imposter syndrome is real. And we get in these places, and how often do we rehearse those stories of worthlessness with God himself? Oh man, I can't, I can't possibly pray for this person or I can't pray right now. I haven't done it in so long. It'd be kind of embarrassing and I don't have everything together. You know, I'm kind of this sinful person or I haven't been to church in a while, but you know, I'm kind of going through some stuff right now and maybe I've done some, some bad things and it's not quite right. I don't think that God could use me. You know, I don't, I don't think I could serve on a team or join a table. You know, I've got way too many doubts about this whole thing. Um, I, I'm not quite the most faithful, obedient person, you might say, right? I don't do this and I don't do that. And we rehearse these stories over and over again. We rehearse them until they become true. We start to see our lives shaped around it. We feel like we need to kind of pull ourselves together before we come to the presence of God. We limit um, we limit ourselves based on these feelings. So the son goes home, picks up what little he has, speech ready. And he's, he's expecting his father to kind of do the reasonable thing and just kind of give him a nice, I told you so, right? He, he, he doesn't expect the worst, like his father's not going to turn him away, but his expectations are very low. He says, well, maybe I'll at least, you know, work for him. You know, there'll be a quick, I told you so, and then I'll work for him. His expectations are really low. And what I find here is that our stories of worthlessness have severe implications for the expectations we have for ourselves and the expectations we have for what God can do in our lives, right? We take our purpose, who we are, and we condition it. We look at Jesus and his love and we put our own um, we put our own obedience and rightness in the, in the way of that. And we start to dream real small. Suddenly, God can't do a whole lot in our lives because of us, because of my own inadequacy, right? And we begin to limit ourselves and limit God in that place. And, uh, but the story goes... But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. I'm going to read that one more time. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. This is my favorite part. Of the, of the entire story. And there's two things I want to point out here. One is that it said he ran. And again, in a Jewish society, this is unheard of for a grown man to do, especially the patriarch of a family. To be running, to be rushing anywhere is shameful, but he doesn't care. He puts that all to the side and he says, I see my son, I'm going. This fool was probably wearing robes and sandals and he picked that sucker up and he went jogging all the way down. He looked absolutely ridiculous. 
absolutely foolish and that is the recklessness of God's love for us. He doesn't care uh, what it looks like, right? He's not afraid of looking like an idiot. This is the fervor to which God is chasing after us. What a fool to trust people who hung him up on a cross. What a fool to love us and love us still. He is running after you. The second thing I want you to notice from this is that it says, while he was still a long way off. While he was still a long way off, right? This is incredible. While he was still a long way off, dude couldn't even wait till he got to the front door. He took down a mile, he took a mile run. He joined Zoe's table and ran, right? <laughs> he went down there while he was still a long way off. How many times do we assume that we gotta pull it together before we come into the presence of God? You know, I gotta read my Bible a little more. I gotta, you know, pray and then, you know, not do so many bad things for a little while. And then God will start to come towards me then, then maybe we can start to build this relationship again. But that is not the story that we are given, family. The story is while we were still a long way off, right? You don't have to pull, um, pull yourself together. Honestly, if you wait until you have it all together to come into the presence of God, you ain't ever going to get there. Right? We are all just a mess, <laughs> Right? We're going to continually make excuses for ourselves about why we can't do this and why God can't do that for us. Why that can't happen in this way because of our own stories of worthlessness, of our own stories of inadequacy. But while we are still a long way off, Jesus is coming after us. We, he doesn't even wait for us to turn towards him. Right? His son could have been coming back just to like, I don't know, get some underwear. I don't know. <laughs> he doesn't know, right? He could have been coming back to like show his big bucks. He's like, I've been living large. I don't need you, right? He doesn't know and he doesn't care. That kid doesn't have to turn towards him. He sees his son and he's gone while he was still a long way off. Get that tattooed on your back. I don't know. That's the best thing I have ever heard, right? I freaking love that while he was still a long way off. First thing the son says when he's embraced by his father is, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Sound familiar? He starts his speech, the one that he was rehearsing, that he was practicing over and over again before he got there. He starts speaking, but his father doesn't even let him finish. He says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. This ring would have been a signet ring, one that uh, delineated what family he's from. He's saying, you are part of my family. Get him a ring, get him some sandals, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. When he brought his rehearsed story of worthlessness to his father. His father responded with his own story. He reminded him of his identity. He said, you are my son. Hard stop. You are my family and I love you. Hard stop. He doesn't even let him finish 
his speech, right? He cuts him off there. And I don't know about y'all, but sometimes I need a reminder of who I am, right? This is why, honestly, Sundays for me are oftentimes a reminder of what my life is where it's going, <laughs> you know? Um, it kind of gives me this moment. Um, uh, Nathan said a thing uh, a few weeks ago that I absolutely loved. It was um, Sunday is not the sacred, it's not a sacred moment or a sacred day. It's a day through which we remember that all moments are sacred, right? I need, sometimes we need reminders of who we are, of our identity to get there. You, he's, the son starts at a story of worthlessness, then he goes, or sorry, self-sufficiency, then he goes to a story of worthlessness, and the father responds with a story of his identity. And he says, remember who you are, Simba. Sorry. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't help it. <laughs> uh, remember, remember who you are, because all of us are telling stories about ourselves, right? Somebody said that we're all just a, a bunch of carbon talking to each other. We're telling stories through what we wear, where we live, um, uh, where we go to work, how much money we're making, how emotionally stable we are, um, how, how much we do X, how much we don't do Y, right? We're telling all these stories to each other. And when you're telling so many stories, you start to forget who you really are. You start to forget the first story, right? You start to forget the fact that you are part of a family, that you you are a child, a son or daughter of God, that he is calling you towards something, that you have a purpose that cannot be disqualified by your circumstances. This is the story that we forget time and time again. And I think, I think that if we are reminded of this story, when we're reminded of the story, we get amazingly ambitious right? When I step out of church and I've heard a sermon and I've been reminded of who I am, of where I'm going, of the fact that I'm not just trying to make enough money to get a nice house in the suburbs and die in a casket that looks better than my neighbors, right? That's not the point. There's so much more to my life. God has so much more for me, right? Those stories of worthlessness start to just break down. They don't hold up when they're critiqued by the story of the love of God, critiqued by the story of our sonship, of our daughtership, of our family-ship. That's not a word. They cannot hold up to that. And I, and I see in a lot of ways um, in talking about expectations and how they go down, that being reminded of these stories, we can have incredibly ambitious goals we can have very bold dreams, right? Where we're not just, you know, we're just a church. We're going to be nice to each other. We're going to eat some cool food, right? I'm going to be nice to the people outside. I'm not going to yell. I'm not going to flip off the guy that cuts me off on the highway. Yay, right? But then, but then from this place, we get people who are like, you know, sex trafficking, done. No, right? Um, we are going to work towards eradicating that. We have a system that has so many people being oppressed, so many people who are seen as less than. No, we're shutting it down. We're changing the narrative. These are bold dreams, right? The kids, they aren't eating in the school. We're going to change that. We're going to bring food to them. We're going to bring food and clothes to their homes. We're going to take care of the poor and the widow. We are going to be bold, we're going to have ambitious dreams. Which of your dreams have you lost to the story of worthlessness? 
Which of them? And I think that in the midst of all that, in the midst of feeling worthless and um, needing to constantly being reminded who we are, there is a God who's taking initiative, right? There's a God who is doing the reminding and is aching to remind you of how loved and adored you are, aching to remind you of your purpose, of why you are here. And that's awesome, but the story doesn't end there. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? And your brother, uh, one thing I want to point out, this servant <laughs> um, has no idea what he's about to get into. <laughs> it's just like so clueless. Um, he doesn't realize that the dude's about to get really, really angry, but I absolutely love that. He's just like, yeah, your, your brother's back. This is great. Um, <laughs> your, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Here, we find out that there's not just one prodigal son to this story, but two. That there's also a breaking of relationship with the older son as well. But still, the story that we get is a father who goes out to him. We get the story of a God who takes initiative. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and you never and I never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. This older son is telling a story as well. He's telling a story of his own worthiness. Right? But not in a way that's like um, he uh, ascribes himself worth because of his father's love. His worth comes from the things that he has done. It looks a lot more like self-righteousness than, like, um, than it does like worth. And he is absolutely pissed. He says, I have been slaving for you. Very dramatic. And I never disobeyed you. But then that son of yours, have any of you ever been, if you have siblings, if you've, uh, if you've ever been incredibly angry with them, you know that they don't have a name anymore. You try to distance yourself relationally. You know that son that you had that one time, right? Not my brother, not his name. That son of yours squanders everything and you kill the fattened calf for him? Really? How, Sway? Like, what, what is going on? And in this story, the son, this older son, is the only one with a head on his shoulders. He's saying what everyone's thinking. This dude just spent a third of your money, and now he's getting down on the dance floor? What? Is that a soul train line? Did I just hear the cha-cha slide? What is going on? He does not deserve this. The son is the older son. 
He's kind of like a, um, a bootstrap theologian. He's kind of like a uh, clear capitalist. He's like, what I put in is what I should get out, <laughs> right? He's like, I, I, I've done my dues. Why am I not the one with at least a goat to get down with my friends? <laughs> Such a, yeah, historical context. That's awesome. Uh, it's amazing. Um, and he says, um, he says, I don't understand how you could do that. But the thing to understand here is that this is the opposite side of the same coin, right? Both of them are, are their love. The father's love is contingent on what they do. The younger son did something terrible. So he thinks that disqualifies him from the father's love. The older son has done something good. So he thinks that qualifies him for the father's love. And because of that qualification, because of that story of worthiness and self-righteousness, he is unable to celebrate his brother returning. Because we find that when we condition our own worth, we begin to condition the worth of people around us as well. It becomes this comparison game, and this is the place where religion fails us. We get far too, far too caught up in gatekeeping that we completely miss the point. We get these criteria that we can decide who's in and who's out, who's a Christian and who's not. We look at the way people live, what their, uh, what their beliefs are, how they carry themselves, and we say, no, that's not right. And we pit ourselves um, above them. Honestly, we see ourselves as better than them. And in that seeing ourselves as better than them, we fail to see them at all, right? He can't see his brother. He doesn't see the fact that his brother is back. He doesn't even get a chance to celebrate. What stories of worthiness or self-righteousness are you rehearsing? Because I imagine this older son, he's in the field doing his work, and he's like, I better get what's coming to me. Right? Um, and oftentimes, so for us in the 21st century, you know, like we're generally nice, I think. I don't know. Um, but most times people don't explicitly say, hey, I'm better than you and you and you and you and that guy, right? I don't have a list in my room. Don't go in my room. Uh, <laughs> I don't have a list in the room of all the people I'm better than, right? But what it looks like when I think about myself, I think then, okay, who are the people who, um, who are the people that I interrupt when they're talking? Who are the people whose stories are a little less important than my own, that I'm thinking about what I'm going to say while they're talking? What spaces am I talking just to sound smart so people can hear my voice? Right? What is that? Who are the people, when they give me feedback, I write it off and I don't listen? Who are the people that I give a bunch of unsolicited feedback to? <laughs> Right? Those are the places, when it comes to this story of self-righteousness, it's very uh, oftentimes subconscious in a lot of us. So if we start looking at those places in our lives, we can begin to see maybe where God is looking to do a work, where God is looking to change the story that we're rehearsing. And after the older son delivers his speech, the father says this, my son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother's of yours was dead 
and is alive again. You are always with me and everything I have is yours. Different brother, same exact message. His story of worthiness and self-righteousness that leads him to a story of bitterness. The father responds with what? A story of his identity. He says, you are my son. And it ain't have nothing to do with anything you did. You did not earn my love. You had my love the entire time. You have been with me the entire time. Everything I have is yours. He reminds the older son of his worth and where it comes from. He reminds him of his identity. He says, it's not gonna, it didn't start with you. It didn't start with the actions that you took, and it's not going to end with the actions that you take. And that's where the story ends. That's the whole thing. And while it's great, there's like a, there's a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth, which is mostly just dryness. It leaves a bad taste in your mouth because there's kind of a cliffhanger here. It's like, does the younger son actually repent of his ways? Or at the end of the party, does he's like, yo, dad, you slip me like 500, 600 and then dip, right? Does he, does he leave after that? Does he actually change? Does the older son ever go into the party? You know, does he relinquish his bitterness? Does he relinquish his uh, self-righteousness and go celebrate his brother? We do not know. And it's like I'm flipping through the Bible trying to find out what they did. I realize is that it doesn't matter. That's not the story. Regardless of what response they have, what action they take, that doesn't change the story. Whether they do the right thing or the wrong thing, the story is, is that they are his son. Right? God doesn't wait for our response before he starts loving us. The story isn't um, come home and then be loved by God. The story isn't relinquish your bitterness and self-righteousness and then be loved by God. The story is come home because you are loved by God. The story is relinquish your bitterness, come celebrate because you are loved by God. You are my son because you are. I love you because you are. And that is it. That is the entire story. And we find ourselves trying to add a little bit more to it. And again, that's where we get to that place um, or either place of self-righteousness or, or self-sufficiency and worthlessness. Right, we get to these places where we try to condition God's love for us. And he says, no, this is it. His followers come to Jesus and they ask him, who is this God? Who are you? And he tells them this story. This one. I'd like to invite the worship team back up. I don't know what, um, wait, no, you're not doing anything, right? Community story after this? Yeah, go sit down, yeah. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> no sweet synth behind my closing today, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> so 
I don't know what story you have been rehearsing this past week, this month, this year, your entire life. Oftentimes these stories are things we pick up along the way or sometimes it's forced upon us. But what I do know is that this story, this story has changed my life, continues to change my life. And that as we move through this, this messy life with God, that we're going to make mistakes, that we're going to fall short time and time again. But the best way that I've found to fall short, to fail, is to fail with my family, is to be around other people who fail. So welcome. This is it. We get to, to step into this story. We get to be people who remind each other of our true story. There's this story that was going around Facebook maybe like 10 years ago, said something about an African tribe, Googled it, very racist, very untrue. Um, it, it, there wasn't an African tribe that exists, uh, but we'll talk about that later. Um, but in this story, when uh, people in this village, when they, uh, when they commit a crime, Rather than punishing them, what the village does is they take that person, they put them in the center of the village, everyone from the village comes around and they tell stories about this person from when they were young. Up until now, they tell stories of all the wonderful things that they did, of they remind them of their identity, of their connection to the village. Could we too remind each other of our connection to this story? We'd be a church like what? It would be wild if as a church, rather than building walls and constructing gates, we built a table and invited everyone to come. What if we were a church that, um, what if Christianity was um, when somebody was in need, when the world was in crisis, they were like, let's get some Christians in here. We need some Christians in here because those are people who will see us. That is the purpose of this entire thing is for us to construct that type of world, to construct that type of family, and then maybe, just maybe allow that to shape the world around us. These are the bold, ambitious dreams that we get to move towards that we get to imagine, we get to dream up and construct to organize and make happen because we remember who we are. And we remember what family we are part of. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's sermon. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday worship and brunch, to subscribe to our other podcasts and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.